to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. We're back with another special episode. I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately, but this part of the church year is full of special occasions and celebrations. And so <laughs> here we are for yet another one. Uh, tonight, we're looking at uh, the celebration of uh, the Holy Trinity. Right, which is this coming Sunday is Trinity Sunday. So um, one of the readings we're using, you might hear that this Sunday, John 3. Um, maybe in your church, you say the Athanasian Creed. Uh, maybe you don't. But it's in, and, and that's an interesting point, and that's fine. There's no right or wrong here. Um, right. We do it once a year, mm-hmm. and, and people complain. <laughs> <laughs> it's, lo- it's long. Yeah, it, it is long. And the celebration itself uh, historically had been a little bit controversial, especially early on. It's one of the newer celebrations in the calendar. It, it didn't really take hold, I think, until like the 14th century which is pretty late compared to some of these other celebrations we've been uh, commemorating. Because I I think a lot of people didn't see the need for a specific commemoration of the Trinity because people were like, well, don't we do that every single Sunday, (laughs) right? Kind of what's the point? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. If it's it's part of your weekly routine to acknowledge and pray to and confess the Trinity, then why, why make a special deal of it? Right. Yeah. So, yes, that's odd, though. Something new in the church is like only 700 years old, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're right with the times, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We're on top of things. But it is true that, um, like, even tonight, just in the little we've done so far, we've already commemorated the Trinity in, in one way by the invocation, right? Right. And so, and so you see that throughout our services on Sunday every single week. So it is true that it's kind of peculiar that you have – a celebration that commemorates um, kind of, this is in some sense, even an idea. Like we're not celebrating the unity of the Godhead uh, this Sunday. We're celebrating the Trinity, right? And so that's kind of a unique uh, aspect of this specific celebration. Right. It's not, it's not an action, is it? Right. Like it's not so an action th- or event. Yep. No, so many of the things we celebrate, whether it's Christmas, we have the birth of Jesus, you have Good Friday, Easter Sunday is resurrection. You have, uh, you know, Epiphany where we look at all the events and the appearances to, to n- not just us, but to, well, not just to Jesus' fellow people, but to Gentiles. And all. So it's all action-filled, right? That's right. But this right. one's kind of an idea. Yeah. Yep. Very interesting. Not that the Trinity is an idea. I'm not saying that. But of course. It's, it's the concept. It's the idea of the Trinity and acknowledging that. So maybe it's good to take all the time and... And consider that, and, and part of the problem is this is the epitome of theology, mm-hmm. right? And yep. and sometimes we don't see the practical application to our theology. That's exactly right, and I think that's one of the reason you get some complaints when you do say the Athanasian Creed uh, this coming Sunday, because uh, some of it seems so specific and so nitpicky in a way, where. I think a lot of people who are hearing it for the first time kind of think, okay, like what's the relevance here? Yeah, How does overload. this affect our, 
believe. Yeah, and maybe one of the reasons I get complaints is to honor the Trinity, I make them say it three times. No, <laughs> no I don't. I don't. There will be nobody in church this Sunday if I, if, if I did that. So, That's right. It is. It is a bit cerebral, isn't it? It is. It's thinking. And as you said, we're not um, honoring an event. We're honoring God in his Trinitarian nature, mm-hmm. which, okay, it's a little bit of thoughts, a little bit of head stuff. Mm-hmm. But the gospel reading is bang on. Uh, now, it's a little bit philosophical, too. Probably, in some ways, uh, the most Jesus wanes philosophically in, in John 3, isn't it? It's true. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly right. I really thought about that, but it's it's a little heady there, too. But then the whole gospel of John has a little more of a philosophical, thoughtful bent. Yes. You know, we, lo- we look at, you know, Matthew as being sort of a, a Jewish writer. Mm-hmm. He brings in all the holidays and festivals, that type of thing. Um, Mark is an active writer. He writes, like, it's almost like he's in a hurry. And then this happened and that happened. He goes from event to event very quickly. It's, very, it's a very active gospel. Mm-hmm. Luke um, takes a, a bit of a scientific and, and fact-based approach and goes and interviews and things like that. And then you get John, who's a bit, a bit, you know, kind of highlighting the philosophical things. Yeah. And we've seen that a bit the last few weeks. You really stay in the Gospel of John a lot toward the end of the church year, on, on the one-year lectionary in particular. And so we've, I feel like we've been in John for the majority of our last few broadcasts. Right. And um, even going back and looking at that discourse, the final discourse, which is pre-Good Friday, Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. But those readings come up after Easter, I guess, because it's just, there's so much there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So maybe that's a good place to start tonight. We can jump well, into the... Yeah, we could just keep chatting and then never get to the Athanasian Creed and <laughs> yeah. make everybody happy. And we're not going to read through the whole thing, okay? Yes. Okay, so let's right. let's first look at our gospel reading for tonight, which is John 3, 1 17. Now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
here into our reading. Excellent. Thank you. Gotta love that last verse. You know, John three sixteen, so 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 famous, so well known, quoted, lovely verse, wonderful verse. But seventeen says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Yeah. Beautiful too, right? It is. Uh, yeah, really an appropriate reading for Trinity Sunday. And it's interesting. Um, I recently learned from Sean Denzer, who uh, it's head of the, the worship, um, I don't know, it's a committee. Uh, he, he does worship stuff for the LCMS. But he was on a Lutheran uh, podcast that I was listening to. And he was mentioning that this reading was actually selected for the octave of Pentecost. Pentecost used to be this eight-day celebration before Trinity was observed. And our lectionary predates um, the invention of Trinity Sunday. And so it's interesting that this reading was actually selected for the continuation of the celebration of Pentecost. And you can kind of see why that is. It talks about, you know, being born of the Spirit. So it's a good reading for that as well. But it's interesting that um, those two celebrations, uh, the same reading is equally appropriate to both, I think. We see a lot of Trinitarian themes Right. In uh, this reading as well. Yeah. For God so loved and the operation of the spirit and the son of man has to be lifted up. It, it really does talk about each person of our Godhead, doesn't it? Right. And it, and, and it has to do with our salvation. Yes. And that's one of the things we always have to keep in mind when we think about the Trinity, that it's God for us. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's exactly that, right. Just, you think Trinity, you just need to think gospel. Good news. Yeah. Salvation. Father loves us, sends his son. The son comes and bleeds and dies for us. The father and the son send the spirit into our hearts to call us to faith. Because as 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit that we believe in him. Yep. So you, you have the persons of the Godhead are, are just invested in our eternity. That's a great point. That's Trinity. That's Trinity Sunday and why we celebrate it. That's right. Okay. Well, we're done. Have a good night, Will. (laughs) (laughs) Not so fast. uh... I usually use my little sermonettes till the end, don't I? (laughs) What's going on here? Maybe we'll be blessed with two of them tonight. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I like it. All right. So, uh, yeah, let's move on to our discussion of the Athanasian Creed. Um, We've picked out a few sections that I think... um, Maybe if the first if it's the first time you're hearing the creed, uh, you might wonder, okay, this this sounds a little bit strange uh, in some of these sections. Um, some of them might even sound a little bit heretical at first glance. Uh, and so I think it's important that we talk through some of these things and kind of clear up some misconceptions. Some of them are linguistic, uh, and there are just some things that I think are beneficial to talk through here yeah linguistic and and a bit of a translation issue too right exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right now, yeah. do you have that do you want to can you read that intro that's in our hymnal from lutheran worship um there's an intro you have yeah handy well i do is that a good place to start you want to start it, there? it is yeah this is just a good introduction to the creed and it kind of talks about some of the misconceptions i've spoken of so i'll go ahead and read that now okay. so it says Early in the 4th century, a North African pastor named Arius began teaching that Jesus Christ was not truly God. The church responded decisively in AD 325 with the Statement of Faith, which was the Nicene Creed, which confessed that Jesus is, in fact, true God. Toward the end of the 5th century, another creed was written that delved further into the mystery of the Trinity. Though attributed to Athanasius, a 4th century opponent of Arius, 
This anonymous creed clearly came from a later stage in the debate. The Athanasian Creed declares that its teaching concerning the Holy Trinity and our Lord's incarnation are, quote, the Catholic faith. In other words, this is what the true church of all times and all places has confessed. More than 15 centuries later, the church continues to confess this truth, confident that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has given himself for our salvation. Right. And, it, and as I mentioned to you just a little while ago that, you know, was it attributed to Athanasius or was it just named in his honor? That, yeah, that, that might be that might be what happened. We just don't know, right? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think it's probably more of the latter. This came quite a bit after Athanasius lived, and so, uh, but of course, uh, it's defending the same sorts of truths that Athanasius was yeah. wanting to defend against the Arians, and so I think you're exactly right. I think um, this creed is kind of named after him rather than penned by him. Right. Yeah, and it's and it's it's honorific and and nice to acknowledge the theology of someone who worked very hard to maintain good theology, right? But see, the devil doesn't want us to believe that Jesus is God, right? Okay, there's a couple of things the devil really wants us to not believe in. One is that the Bible is God's word, and mm-hmm. the other is that Jesus actually came as you know the God Man to save us, right? If he can kick us off those those bases then then our faith is in trouble that's right and that's exactly the sort of thing that athanasius was preaching against and the sort of uh deceptions that he wanted the church to avoid with the arian heresy so um let's dive into the very first section here uh which is actually the very beginning of the creed um we'll start here because as the introduction i just read mentioned uh this creed is claiming to be, quote, the Catholic faith. And this is something that throws people off when uh, they first read it. Yeah, whoever desires to be saved must above all hold the Catholic faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will without doubt perish eternally. And the Catholic faith is this. And then the creed goes on. So first order of business, when it says this is the Catholic faith, we're not talking about Roman Catholicism here, right? No, and that and that's part of the problem. We we shorthand Roman Catholic to Catholic, and we really shouldn't. The word Catholic means universal, so right. it's rather, in some ways, arrogant for the Roman Catholic Church to refer to themselves as the Roman Catholic Church. Although having the modifier Roman on does does give it some limits, but we, especially in North America, we hear we hear Catholic, we think Roman Catholic. That's right. But the word means universal. Right. And that's that's important. That's very important. We, we cringe a bit. And I don't know why in the Athanasian Creed they didn't translate it as universal. I wonder that as well. And, and what's also kind of curious, in our own hymnal with the Nicene Creed, you still have the Catholic word in there as well, but we translate it Christian in the Nicene Creed. Right. And so, yeah, it is kind of strange that we've left the word Catholic in the Athanasian Creed, but translated it different than the Nicene Creed. And we, we neglect probably what's the most accurate uh, translation, at least as far as we're concerned, uh, with our culture and our linguistic use of the term, universal, as you mentioned. Yeah, universal. That, <clears throat> that, that's what the word means. And so I'm not sure why we dance around and use Christian one time and then Catholic another time. 
uh, both of which don't accurately translate. And of course, Catholicase is more of a transliteration, not a mm-hmm. not a translation. But it's it's confusing. It's confusing. It so is. here, when you when you read this, if you hear it on Sunday, you're speaking on Sunday. It just means universal. There is one. There's one holy Christian and apostolic church. Right. That's the idea behind it. Right. Okay. So in other words, what this is saying here is that what is about to be confessed is something that has been believed in all places and in all times in the true church. Is that right? Basically, that's the idea behind it, that if you're part of the church, then this is what you believe. And right. there's this story about, they call it the Collier's faith, that Colburner, he's met on a, on, on a bridge by a man, and the, the man asked the Collier, uh, what do you believe? Well, I believe what the church believes. Well, what does the church believe? What I believe. (laughs) So we don't want to get into that. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. So when we talk about what the church believes, we mean the whole body of doctrine that's given to us in Scripture. Right. And that's just the the universality of it is that Christians believe in God's word. They, They grow and learn to know Christ through that word. And then they're part of the one holy Christian apostolic church, and that's universal. And part of that is believing in the Trinity. Right. Okay. Very good. Now, the other question that I think this section brings to mind is the second section. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will without doubt perish eternally. We (laughs) seldom use that sort of harsh language when it comes to doctrinal uniformity, especially in, in a creedal sense. So um, maybe we should talk about exactly what this means. Uh, so are we saying that you absolutely must believe everything in this creed or you are surely going to hell? Is, is that what we're saying here? It's interesting because you could read this creed and think, well, I don't know if I get that or understand that. And God does forgive us our confusion. That's very important. Otherwise, I'd really be in trouble. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> but what, what this creed was fighting for, remember, at the heart of it is fighting for the deity of Jesus. Right. And if you don't believe that Jesus is the God-man, then, well, then you are in trouble. Right. Spiritually. Yes. Spiritually. So yes. I think it's, it's that idea that, you know, you have to hold to the main teachings here about the Trinity. Otherwise, that, that's, not the, that's not the faith of the Bible. Right. Exactly. At the same time, um, I think it's important to note that this isn't demanding somehow a perfect understanding of these things. Because, of course, as Lutherans, we believe that, like, even, even my son, who's uh, seven weeks old at this point, who doesn't understand any of this, uh, he's saved through, through baptism. And so th- there is this, like, non-cerebral element of faith that we don't want to neglect when we confess something like this. Right. Right. And that, and that's very important because most people regard faith as a matter of the intellect and the will, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, I've made a right decision type of thing and I, I've learned about God. I've, I've figured it all out type of, or figured out enough of it. Right. Mm-hmm. What we what we forget is that faith is a matter primarily of the spirit that God's spirit comes to our spirit and, and gives life to our dead spirit. That's why, you know, we, we agree with what Peter writes, that baptism now saves you. Because it's not a matter of the intellect and the will. It's a matter of the spirit being regenerated by the spirit of God. Right. Now, 
God does give us a mind, and he does give us a will. Our wills are bent and broken, but we, by God's gracious operation in our hearts, we try to reform our wills to bend them to be more like God's. Mm-hmm. Never complete it, but that's what we do. And Paul also talks about re- a renewal of the mind, that God gave us minds as a precious gift, and so we use them, but that, but we don't have to have like cognitive understanding in order to be saved. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, though, as we grow and as our minds start to work a little more and more and more, they can lead us into error. Right. And then that can hurt our faith. Right. Or we can use our minds to humbly take them to the Word of God and learn and then nourish our faith. Right. But bearing, keeping in mind, and this is so important, our, our salvation is first and foremost spiritual life granted to us by the Holy Spirit. Right. And then... God graciously renews our minds and helps us with our our problem with our wills. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a great distinction. So we're not saying that this is to, like this is what it means to be saved is believing these things. But we what we are saying in essence here is if you willingly and knowingly contradict anything that's confessed here, you're endangering your salvation. Yeah, and it, yeah, and you just want to be careful spiritually. You want good spiritual food. That's right. the point, right? You exactly. don't want bad, and there's so much bad spiritual food out there, and and that's why that's why you and I are here to just give basic, good, you know, meat and potatoes type of food, right? Right, exactly. Okay, okay, good. Uh, I think we'll move on. Oh, should um, we talk about though? Is this maybe I'm preempting or jumping jumping a little bit? Uh, the, the the primary, secondary, tertiary idea of does that come up later? No, th- no, that's a good thing to bring up here. Okay, no, that's yep. Okay, so. Do you want to do you want to do that? Yeah, let's talk about that. So, um, I think the idea just you know uh, we have distinctions between what we might call core doctrines that are in, absolutely necessary to be a Christian, and uh, so we might call those primary doctrines as well. Uh, and then we have what we might call secondary doctrines, which are things that are really important. Um, but you could still disagree, uh, even among, there might be disagreement among Christians about these things. They're big enough disagreements that it's probably best that these disagreements keep us from being in fellowship with one another in a congregation on Sunday mornings. Like there are differences in practice. So things like infant baptism. So you could deny conceivably infant baptism and still be a Christian, However, um, if you denied infant baptism, you'd have a hard time fitting in at a Lutheran church, right? Right. So the primary ones, and maybe that's what, you know, this is these warnings in this creed are all about. These primary ones, you really have to hang on to them. Yes. Otherwise, you're in trouble. The secondary ones may endanger your faith or you may be not in sync with what the Bible says. And then there's others that um, are up for debate. Uh, the tertiary ones, we want to call them that. But this is one of the beautiful things about our Lutheran theology is that we never claim to have a monopoly on salvation. And we mm-hmm. feel that others who belong to a Christian church who confess Christ, that they too will be saved. Mm-hmm. That, That's right. You know, God, and, and none of us is a perfect theologian. Right. Right? So God has to forgive us our bad theology. Right. Um, but, you know, but we don't deny Christ. Right, exactly. And that's what this creed is basically warning us about. Don't deny Christ. Okay, mm-hmm. we should jump ahead then. Thanks, Will. Thank you. 
So we're jumping ahead several lines here. Uh, Pastor, do you want to read this next section? Sure. The Son is neither made nor created, but begotten of the Father alone. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. Excellent. So uh, this sort of language isn't unique to the Athanasian Creed, obviously. Um, We hear this in the Nicene Creed as well, this language of uh, begotten, not made. And the Athanasian Creed adds, or created. Um, We should talk about this idea, because I think this is something that is uh, likely to trip some people up. What does it mean for the Son to be begotten, but not made or created? We typically think of begetting as an action in time that creates something new, right? And so uh, maybe we can just talk through this distinction. Yeah, it's interesting, the creed you mentioned, uh, begotten on the, being, you know, begotten on made, being of the same substance of the Father, right? Mm-hmm. That whole idea. So when you talk about something being begotten as opposed to being created, then what happens then if it's a begotten entity rather than a created entity? What's the, what's the big takeaway from that, Will? C.S. Lewis had a good distinction here, and this is something we kind of touched on a bit. I don't remember if it was last week with the theosis episode, Um, but this idea that uh, when you beget something, uh, you're begetting something that's of the same kind or of the same substance as the thing that uh, begot it, right? So um, humans beget humans, dogs beget dogs. Whenever something is begotten, it's always the same thing thing same kind of thing as the thing that beget it right and so um that's the distinction i think that c.s lewis is is trying to make here is that uh when we say that the son is begotten of the father we mean that he's god right yeah he's the son of god and so he's the same kind of thing as the father which is god right and that was part of the accusation against him he claims to be god by exactly by claiming to be the son of god which in fact he was Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Claiming to be the son of God is in a way an identity statement of claiming to be God Yeah. because uh, God begets God, right? Right. And that's the point. Yes. And so we're not saying that Christ was in any way created by saying that he's begotten. This is still a sort of uh, timeless and eternal begetting, which is something that's difficult for us to understand, Right. But um, it's distinct from creating or making because when a human being creates something, it's not a human being, right? Like uh, we can like create a house or we can create a painting and those things are distinct from human beings. But when we beget something, we beget another human being. And so that's the distinction that's being made here. The son is God just as much as the father is God. And that's why this sort of language is important. And yeah, in the same way we have children and they're, they're like us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Poor them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Sad. Okay. So then, then the next point, then the Holy Spirit is of the Father and the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. And and these are these are all kind of relational terms, aren't they? That's true. How yep. does the how does the Trinity how do the persons of the Trinity relate to one another? Right. That's kind of that 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 operation within the Trinity. That so and and you know Jesus talks about I go to the Father and He'll send the Spirit and and all that. So the Holy Holy Spirit does proceed from the Father and the Son. Right. 
Yeah, this is another, we could spend a lot of time on this. There's a lot to talk about with the preceding thing. Because this is another bit that's caused a lot of bit of controversy in church history with the filioque and stuff like that. Yeah, and the sun. The filioque is and the sun. Um, yep. Some churches don't say that the Holy Spirit proceeds also from the sun. Right. Okay. Uh, it's probably a discussion for another time. I think it is. Are we going <laughs> to yeah. jump into a quick modalism thing here? Yeah, let's let's talk about that because I think that's another way that people get tripped up when they're talking about the Trinity. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Should we talk? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, you didn't. You're good. Um, I meant to. <laughs> so modalism is a wrong belief, and we do not believe it. We think it's wrong. And the way that a modalist would describe how they feel about, well, one of the ways a modalist would describe the Trinity is the, that God is like water. Sometimes he's liquid, but if, if it's very cold, then water freezes. Sometimes God's like ice, or when it's really hot, it becomes steam. And that the same water is both liquid, frozen, and steam. And that's the way modalists describe the Trinity, and we don't believe that, okay? Right. It's not as though God appears one time as as the Father and then jumps back to heaven, then pulls out a different mask and then comes back as the Son, goes back to heaven, pulls out a different mask, and comes back as the Holy Spirit. We don't believe that. Right. That's all. We believe in three distinct persons of the Godhead. And here, of course, you see this the best, you know, at Jesus' baptism, right? That's right. You have Jesus there in the water. The Spirit descends, lands on his on him, and, and remains with him. The Father says, this is my beloved Son. You have the, the, the three persons of the Trinity visible, so there's no time to be doing this masking of modalism. That's right. And I, I think as confusing as these words can be, things like uh, begotten and preceding, they do a good job of making the distinction that it's not just one person wearing three different masks. Yeah. Like, I think these words do truly indicate that it's different persons within the Godhead doing these things. Right. And so okay. even though, uh, you know, we don't fully understand these words with respect to how they operate within the Trinity, they serve their function of uh, dispelling like things like the modal modalism. Yeah. Those kinds of heresies. Right? Yeah, we, we have a limit to what we can actually understand about God. And, and God graciously gives us information so that we can know him by faith and believe these things, even if we don't fully, fully understand them. Right, okay. exactly. All right, let's move on. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal with each other and co-equal, so that in all things, as has been stated above, the Trinity and unity and unity and Trinity is to be worshipped. Now, granted, we're just pulling some, a few random, not random, the reason why I pulled them out, but a few different sections. So the creed's very long. This is another point that's very important. None is greater or less than another. Yes, and this is another place where people can get tripped up because they'll read this part of the creed and they'll say, well, it seems like in the life of Christ, there are some times where he seems to be subordinating himself to the Father. And that's where this second section comes in, right? Right. And it, 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 it's John 14, right? Where, where Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. Yes, that's right. And 
That's the point. Okay, so that's really important. Why does Jesus say the Father? And I don't know why the Bible translation leaves out the word M. It should be the Father is greater than me or the Father is greater than I am. But mm. our Bibles are weird um, sometimes. But what is Jesus saying when he's saying the Father is greater than, than I am? Right, that's where the second part of this section comes in, right? The creed this, says... He's equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, but less than the Father with respect to his humanity. Yeah, and that really clears things up. As the God-man, he humbles himself, becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. All that stuff in Philippians 2, that's what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. He, He willingly puts himself in subjection to the Father to save us. Right. And, and, And puts himself in that lesser position, as it were, by taking on humanity. Right. Okay. Next slide. Yeah, let's go to the, the last slide here. Yeah. Although he is God and man, he is not two, but one Christ. One, however, not by the conversion of the divinity into flesh, but by the assumption of the humanity into God. And again, the important point is that like God didn't become less God when he became a man. Mm-hmm. But but his human nature, we can say, okay, that he he elevated that he he takes that into his Godhead. He doesn't he doesn't he can't he can't stop being God. He can't change his God. So when he assumes this humanity, it elevates humanity. That That's humanity. right. Okay. That's right. And that kind of ties in with some of the theosis stuff we were talking about. I think that was last week. That this idea that um, God doesn't stoop to the human level, so to speak. He, he does in some way, but uh, it's more accurate to say that he kind of elevates humanity into himself. Right. And that's the beauty of this is that Jesus is a real man, flesh and blood, born of the Virgin Mary, all that stuff, who dies on our behalf, who is sinless, he he didn't denigrate his deity by becoming a man. Right. He didn't he didn't lessen it. He didn't make himself less of a god. None of that. He's true God and true man. And that's the beauty. And of course, this is what the devil doesn't want you to believe. Exactly. Yep. And that's why it's primary. Okay. One more slide. Yes. Oh, right. We do have one more slide. That's right. Oh, and this is an important one. Yep. It, it is. At his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. Okay. So I think this is probably, of all the sections of the creed, this is the one that's probably most likely to trip people up. Because right. uh, we we commonly say that it's, wrong to believe just generically that all good people go to heaven all bad people go to hell right that's not the gospel message no and it's taken out of and it's really interesting people talk about someone who's deceased and they say oh he's a good christian person meaning that they were morally upright and maybe a good parent and a good member of society and we thank god for people like that Mm -hmm. but we've taken the term a good christian person to mean that their actions and words and, and deeds are are moral rather than spiritual Christian, mm-hmm. spiritual slash Christian. And, and that's where we get into some of this confusion. Now, 
give an account concerning your own deeds. Well, I thought we were forgiven. Right. Right. Well, we are. And that's the point of this, that our own deeds would condemn us. But when we have faith in Christ, then we've been clothed in Christ. Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness. Yes. Now, the good things that we've done in faith, and, and something, a good, a good deed, a good work, is something that's done in faith. It's done in accordance with the Ten Commandments. It's done to the glory of God. It's done to the good of your neighbor, for the good of your neighbor. The big key there is that it's done in faith. And anything that we do that way is, is a good work in God's eyes. Right. So those, we, we, get, we get to keep those. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, and that's an important point because be, just because we're forgiven doesn't mean that our deeds in this life are now somehow meaningless when it comes to our eternal state. Right. Right. And, because and the, we're forgiven, we won't be our our bad the bad things we've done in this life aren't going to be held against us. Thanks be to God for that. Yeah. But uh, we will still be judged according to these good deeds that we've done. Right. Right. And and fortunately for for you and me and for all of us is that we're judged because we've been clothed in Christ. We're judged righteous the way Christ is. Mm-hmm. So that's this partnership that God really desires to embark on with each and every one of us, that we come into his family and then we do things and we're concerned about the things that he's concerned about. So yeah, he, he pushes the whole notion of good works, forgives us the things we do wrong, uh, affirms us in the things we do right, and, clo- and covers us all in who have faith in the, the perfect white robes of Christ. Right. So yeah, a little bit of law here. Um, basically, and that's another good distinction to remember. Well, is this is this is this section of, of the creed or the Bible? Is it is it telling me law or is it telling me gospel? Right. And this, for the most part, is just hammering the law, which is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mm-hmm. soul that sins shall die. the The Bible says that. Yep. <laughs> okay. So, but but the Bible also says, but in Christ we have forgiveness, et cetera, et cetera. So right. read this in the right way that our good works are important and, and what we do in life is important. And, and, and God will, um, you know, we have to give an account concerning our own deeds. Right. So bottom line is this isn't teaching that we're in any way justified by our works. No. But no. we will still be judged according to our deeds uh, in the sense that we just described. It, yeah. Like it's not a lie to confess that as it's written no. in the creed. no. All these things are true. They just need to be understood within the right context. Yeah, and that's where that tool of law and gospel really helps. Right, it really exactly. helps. You read through. You read through. I can remember reading through some law statements in a premarital class, and I still remember the look on the woman's face. She turned and said, "Oh, th- th- this is terrible." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Hang on, we're going to get to the gospel next." <laughs> you know, it it is terrible. Our our if we were to stand before God without Christ, we're we're in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. But in Christ, we have his righteousness. Everything good uh, comes from him, and it's all fine. Okay? Okay. Okay, we've gone a bit long. Uh, yeah, that's which, what happens when you try to delve into the mysteries of the Trinity in 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we could have, and people do have whole classes on this that last yep. for a long time. No. Yeah, that's right. We, we're going to change. Most of the colleagues that we have have a certain format. They're formulaic. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we found a prayer in um, For All the Saints uh, breviary, a prayer book, 
that is a very simple prayer, but I, we, I like it. It's do, very do nice. Wanna, do you want to close off with that? Let's close with that. Oh, but I, I didn't give a second sermon, or did I? Oh, uh, that's okay. I think we'll survive. Well, it's <laughs> yeah, I think you will. But just, just bear this in mind, just the second sermon and the important last word. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There we go. Okay. Best sermon you've given. It, without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> Shortest, too. Okay. We pray. All Holy Trinity, have mercy on us. Lord, cleanse us from our sins. Master, pardon our iniquities. Holy God, visit and heal our infirmities for thy name's sake. Amen. Amen.